So there are a ton of things I have learned by doing this podcast. The one thing that I learned that I never saw coming was just to what lengths people are willing to go to discredit Joseph Smith and other early LDS church leaders. See, this very same tactic, it was used before to discredit the Founding Fathers of the United States in order to remake the country into something it was never supposed to be. Well, as I said earlier, now the same tactic is creeping into Mormonism. Discredit the Founder, then Mormonism can be turned into something else entirely. It was brought to my attention by my friend Justin Frankham that the newest effort regards Joseph Smith in the First Vision. The charge that is being made by those seeking to undermine the foundations of the restored gospel is that Joseph's first vision was not of heavenly origin, but was instead his experiences while on hallucinogens. Now, as preposterous as this sounds, people are buying into it and the movement is growing. So on this episode, Justin and I break down this theory and look at what its proponents trot out as evidence. I'm sure that you'll come up with the same conclusion that Justin and I have, that the idea that Joseph's first vision was the result of, quote, a trip is complete nonsense and the accounts they use as evidence do not pass scrutiny. My hope is is that by the end of this podcast, you'll be armed with the facts and be able to refute this claim when you encounter it. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me, and it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation, or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. we got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups, we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So, even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. 
Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com. So go check that out. Well, Justin, how have you been, big guy? I've been great. How's life treating you? It's uh, been an adventure out here trying to get a kind of a homestead started out in Missouri. How's so what would all how long ago did you make that move? Oh, it was probably earlier this spring, late summer or early summer, probably early kinda, summer. Yeah, spring, summer. Yeah, I was a little bit late to get a garden going, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, oh, I imagine. So, uh, real quick, what do you think of humidity? Um, I love it. I served a mission in South Korea, and it's very humid there. And it's the climate's very similar. And I, I actually love the climate. I like it getting it gets hot, but not too hot. It gets cold, not too cold. And the humidity is, I I love it. <laughs> Manageable. I remember when I went to Maryland, and uh, where where we were living in Maryland, we were on the Delmarva Peninsula, right between the Atlantic and the Chesapeake. And man, I could tell you what, I remember getting off the plane thinking I am drowning on dry land. It was just, <laughs> it was so, so humid. It took me forever to get used to it. But well, I brought, you came on for a very specific purpose, right? And, and this is unlike, I think, any conversation anyone's done within Mormonism so far. And we're going to start by asking the question did joseph smith and i giggle even saying it because it's one of those things i'm like i can't believe i'm saying this out loud right the things that, uh -huh. that i found i've had to do sometimes and say just for me and this is one of them there's a lot of internet chatter right now there's a lot of stuff on the blogosphere you know that talks about uh kind of the latest proponents of those folks who maybe don't want to discount Joseph saw something, but at the same time want to rationalize it away. Their, their latest argument is, is that Joseph Smith was using psychedelics, most likely mushrooms to have the first vision. Um, I've read some other things since you first brought this up to me where there's even some people who say, oh, all that stuff in Kirtland, that was a mass hallucination. You know, they were spiking the sacramental wine with psilocybin and all these other things. And so naturally, when, when you brought this up to me, I'm like, all right, here's another one. I'm going to have to go in and try to deconstruct. Because if, if you take out the underpinnings of Joseph's first vision, and it's not what he purported it to be well then you've kind of taken out the whole underpinnings to the restoration movement you know what i mean yeah i, I can understand that perspective absolutely um and i've got some serious concerns because i i brought this issue to you right because i told you that um i've got some concerns this is becoming a topic that's being becoming more widespread and i have some concerns about the way it's being presented and and frankly, I mean, I'm not the greatest historian. I'm I'm more of a philosopher, theologian type, and so um, I don't, you know, I, as far as like arguing historic, minute details, that's not really my thing. But I I think I have, I do have a, an awareness of of well, critical thinking and looking at motivations and reasons why. Um, well, let me ask you this. You're being brought around. Yeah. 
Let me ask you this. You said that you were seeing some things in conjunction with this that was really concerning you. What are those things? Well, I just, so just to be completely open and honest here, um, I have experience with some of these um, theogens, and I'm actually not inherently opposed to these types of plant medicines, so to speak. Um, but I am very concerned about rewriting history and trying to shoehorn things in that aren't accurate. I believe in truth above all else. And so when I see, well, first of all, from a, from a historical perspective, when I see people trying to manipulate a story, change history, that, that kind of rubs me wrong, but it's actually more than that. Cause I've, I've also seen people that get involved in some of these things that, take a, a very negative turn in the gospel it it does seem to be I, I don't think it's inherently a problem but it does seem to be something that leads people away from the gospel and the restoration or it can if it's not in the proper context and that's that's my greatest concern is that this is being promoted as a as an alternative and that it's going to lead people that some of these some of these lies can lead people to false understandings and ideas and perceptions of the history and the authenticity of the restoration. Right, right. No, I think that's that's well said. Because look, if 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 you are taking any of these things with this idea of it will just by its very nature bring you closer to deity, I'm not sure that's the right mindset to be going in with that right i mean and 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 that that scares me greatly the other thing that scares me about this is what i alluded to here just a few seconds ago which is i feel like it's another another tactic of taking out the legs from under the the movement that joseph smith started the restored gospel right we we the first time i had john it was about um justin griffin and the uh the the you know who killed joseph smith movie right and trying to take out brigham's legs and i think this is just another another effort in that same vein to to take the gospel's foundation out from under it well absolutely and uh it's, it's that manipulation of history um you know when you have um People like, well, when you have Bruce R. McConkie talking about, I mean, not McConkie, when you have a, yeah, Bruce R. McConkie talking about, you know, rewriting the history and Adam God wasn't something that Brigham Young taught, um, changing that for whatever, whatever your intentions are, it create, lying about the history and misrepresenting the history ultimately leads to, the truth will come out and it leads to a, um, a crisis of faith for a lot of people. When and it's just it, why go down that road if it's if it's unnecessary, if it's not factual, if it's not what was really going on, and you know, but it, ironically, it has been as I've gone into it and as I've looked at the history with that question in mind, um, and as I've listened to some of these arguments for it, it's it's actually convinced me that I, at this point I am I am pretty much you know ninety nine point nine percent positive that that was not the case and that is not the history of the restoration it wasn't a part of it so let, let's break down the argument first that that the those who seek to rewrite history 
use, right? What mm-hmm. what do they use as an argument that this is what he did? Well, uh, you know, actually, you know, if you don't mind if I took a step back from that sure. real quick. Sure. First, I think I'd like to look at the motivations. I mean, why? What what would the argument be for why you would want to insert this into the history? Because mm-hmm. I, I think that's really important. I mean, I think some people honestly are looking for truth and some people believe are starting to believe this because they think the evidence aligns that way. But the people promoting it, I, I don't believe necessarily that that's their intent is that they're seeking truth. I, you know, I think there's a few different motivations here. And one of the most obvious is the denial of the restoration, obviously. Um, and a lot of writers, non-LDS writers, are talking about this because for them, this is a way to explain the restoration and parts of the restoration that are pretty unexplainable. Like, how did this kid from New York create, you know, this the greatest American religion? Um, and they, they need an explanation for that. They need to, you know, they need an atheistic, rational explanation. And if it was a, a theogens... That explained the visions and the and the, all the things that that miracles and the things that people experienced in the restoration and that that's an out for them to discredit everything entirely. So I think you've got that kind of a motivation. Um, and now another motivation, though, is some of these people are promoting these ideas that still, at least for now, claim to be faithful members of of the restored gospel. And I think for them, it's actually the idea here is they're pulling Joseph Smith down to uh, a more equal footing with themselves. If it was just if Joseph Smith wasn't special other than he just found this this medicine that can connect him with God, then well, then they can do the same. And if they connect to that medicine and they have different ideas, that's just as valid. There's no power or authority in Joseph Smith other than what they can just take themselves, what they can achieve themselves. So I think another aspect of that is kind of pulling Joseph Smith down, not necessarily to discredit him, but just to um, allow themselves to have equal footing without maybe necessarily having the equal call or response, you know, calling or responsibility from God to, you know, restore truths. Um, And, you know, the final one, and this is the one that concerns me the most, is that I think it can be used as a a justification for people that are looking for a shortcut to God. And if you can connect to God through some medicine and that's it, there's no, no ordinances required, no commandments, no nothing. You just can take some medicine and wow, now you're you're with God, then you know, in my opinion, that's that's what I would call a shortcut. It's an easier path. You don't have to sacrifice anything. You don't have to conform to anything um, that you don't want to. You can make your own reality. And uh, as a shortcut, that's that's kind of my biggest concern here is that people are looking at this as a – that by promoting this idea, it, it creates a shortcut. So – and there's so many ways that that can go wrong, right? I, I'm just sitting here off the top of my head. You know, if you're looking for a shortcut to try to have a deeper connection with the Savior or your Heavenly Father, 
there, there are no shortcuts. I mean, it, it doesn't really work like that. You have like any relationship, you have to put in the time. You got to put in the effort. And even for the most seasoned um, adherent to the restoration, that's an ongoing process, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and part of living the gospel is, is the journey, right? Learning how to communicate. The other problem I have or the concern I have is that with when, when people want to take that kind of shortcut, I worry that they could be susceptible in that state to influences that may not necessarily be from, from a good source, right? Not coming from our yeah. Father in Heaven, coming from the adversary. I worry about that uh, entirely. Well, I think, yeah, and that's very common in a lot of the, any kind of new age movement, right? It's the whole idea of the new age movement is, is that um, we are God and therefore, you know, we, there is no other God. We are God. We create the, the law of attraction. We don't need to ask God. We don't have to be obedient to, to God's laws and commandments. We can, we can create our own reality. And while there's certain truths to that, the way it's gone about by a new age, it's, it's a replacement. It's a shortcut. You don't have to um, worship or know God. You can have these things without it. And that's that's very, very dangerous. What could go wrong with something like that? Well, um, you know, what what you see here is different stories and interpretations of experiences that when people that people have under psychoactive substances um a a lot of the if you're really if everybody was always connecting to god the right way every time then i think everybody would come out with the same message everybody would get the same kind of ideas the same kind of revelations but we can we can clearly see that's not the case so it is opening yourself up to diverse spirits and all we already know that that those aren't all of all from god and um you know what i also think is like when you have well we already know that you know blessings are predicated upon laws and if you don't have to obey god's will but if you can get the things you want in your life through exerting your own will without you know, if you can find happiness and contentment through exerting your own will, then we don't need God. And as somebody who believes in God and believes God's our Father and He gives us these things to gives us commandments for our own benefit, that's very dangerous because now you can it's it's the lie. It's the lie that you believe that's that's that gets you. It's not the it's not the uh the uh maybe even the truths that you don't understand or don't comprehend yet. Right. Look, I want to make it clear here. I don't have an axe to grind as far as what people do with their own consciousness. It's not something I would do. However, I have seen a lot of research coming out about veterans being helped tremendously by the use of plant medicine. So if it helps someone, then great. But I don't think it should be used as a shortcut or a substitute to experience the atonement working on a person's behalf 
or experiencing the atonement in their own lives. Does that make sense, Justin? Yeah, I think that's very a, a valid a way of looking at that, and a valid approach. And um, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. But again, my concern is is that yeah, it's shortcuts, and that's probably my biggest concern. Um, I first kind of became aware of this. I can't seem to find. It. I was reviewing it just the other day, um, but there's a, a, a re, uh, more of a academic paper put out um, about Joseph Smith, implying that Joseph Smith was using psychedelics. Um, it wasn't really well thought out. It was more of a, in my opinion, it was more of a hit piece. Somebody from the outside of the church who was just trying to explain the Mormon phenomena. Um, but more recent, a little bit more recently, in 2017, there was a, a Sunstone Symposium where you had a couple of presenters talking about this idea that Joseph Smith was basically drugging the Mormons. And that's um, where all these revelatory experiences came from. And how I started researching it. And then it was pretty apparent that uh, at least to me, that that's definitely not the case, and it's concerning to me that it's being promoted because, well, especially because people who have, who have, that are presenting these ideas, some of them know better, you know, um, especially if they're experienced with some of these plant medicines. They, they really should know better, and if you don't have experience yourself, you might not even realize that. And so I guess that was another reason I felt like I wanted to discuss this topic was because I feel like I'm coming from a, a place of neutrality as far as whether or not Joseph Smith was using any substances and and possibly even favorable towards the idea. And yet the research that I've done and the, the, the arguments that I've looked at just don't hold any water. So what's what are the arguments they put forth then that, hey, Joseph was on shrooms? Right. I mean, as I've read through it, that that seems to be what they're saying. Right. Is that he was using psychedelic substances to have psychedelic experiences. And one of them he just happened to tap into that he was able to start a new religion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, I'm going to borrow from some of their research because like I said, I'm not a not the most minute scholar when it comes to some of these details, and they and they brought up uh, a, some of the best evidence they could find in favor of this idea. And um, frankly, it really it doesn't hold a lot of water. So this first one here is it is a quote from Parley P. Pratt, um, and he says, "As I went forth among the different branches, some very strange spiritual operations were manifested, which were disgusting rather than edifying." Some persons would seem to swoon, sway, and make unseemly gestures, or be drawn or disfigured in their countenances. Others would fall into ecstasies and be drawn into contortions, cramps, fits, etc. Others would seem to have visions and revelations, which were not edifying, and which were not congenial to the doctrine and spirit of the gospel. In short, a false and lying spirit seemed to be creeping into the church. Which... Well, right there, I think that's a that's a great warning sign of, about um, even without the use of entheogens. But they go on and say, well, partly went on to say, feeling our weaknesses and inexperience, unless we should err in judgment concerning these spiritual phenomena. Myself, John Murdoch, and several other elders went to Joseph Smith and asked him to inquire of the Lord concerning these spirits or manifestations. Um, and the argument or the implication here is that feeling our weaknesses and inexperience. Um, 
the implication is is that they were getting high on on shrooms or something and not having a lot of experience with um they were having these weird reactions and so they went to joseph smith for for some kind of a consultation because he's he's the master of these things right um and I mean, just I, I don't know. I I personally even just in that quote itself, I don't I don't see it. it. It sounds the exact opposite to me. For one thing, you kind of would have to assume that this was widespread and that everybody knew about this and was doing it in that case. If especially if they are going to Joseph Smith for instruction on on these matters, that would imply that this was well known um, using plant medicines and stuff or mushrooms and. If that were the case, there there would be absolutely be a lot more significant evidence of that and writings about that than, you know, than a, an implication here of feeling our weaknesses and inexperience being, oh, well, there you go. That's it. That's proof that uh, it was mushrooms. Okay, so let's let's go the other direction then just with this argument. <clears throat> what could they be talking about then? concerning their inexperiences and their weaknesses if it's if they're not referring to psychedelics what are they referring to well i would think it's just experiences with visions and revelations and all of this stuff i mean this isn't this isn't new among christianity in general um where there's clearly no psychedelics involved uh you get a bunch of people together and if they're all seeking god but not in the right way even without the use of of any kind of plants you can induced states of of confusion lying spirits can come among you and people can get confused and deceived i mean weakness and experience towards having visions and revelations i i would i would argue these people are having these powerful manifestations and you know i've i've i haven't personally been party to but i know people have been party to um events that they would describe very similar to this where no plant medicine were involved at all Right. Just a bunch of people got together and things ended up getting a little out of control. We have to remember, too, that two things are happening simultaneously as Joseph is restoring the gospel. One is, is that the whole area is called the burned over district, right? Be yeah. That he's in because there is a lot of religious fervor. There are, you know, revivals taking place. And some of the wildest shows I've ever attended weren't rock concerts, but revivals, right? Uh -huh. And so, you, you know, they were looking, people were looking for those manifestations, talking in tongues and ecstasies and those sorts of things. And so that, that was massive. On the other hand, Joseph was ha also having to deal with, no, God still does talk to us, right? Because there was a lot of pe people on in that same time period who were like, look, visions and revelations, those are over. There's no need for those now. We have, we have the, the canon of scripture, which, you know, at that time consisted of the Old and New Testament and some good commentary. So we, we don't need visions and revelations any longer. And so you you probably would have a people who would be obviously people that are drawn to Joseph are probably people who are looking for some of those um, scriptural experiences, right? But don't have a lot of experience in it. So I I I'm with you on this one, right? Is that I think what they're talking about 
is trying to bring a people along that uh, don't have experience with spiritual manifestations, but yet are eager to have them. Yeah, exactly. Looking for shortcuts. And, yep. you know, my my studies of Doctrine and Covenants actually, you know, when these issues get brought up in, in Joseph Smith's revelations, um, to me, the Doctrine and Covenant seems to be a framework for how to balance those extremes. On the mm-hmm. one hand, you've got there are no visions, revelations. God doesn't speak to man anymore. On the other hand, you've got, you know, God's speaking to me through this bird and it's telling me I need to go and and take my family into the woods and and I don't know, do kinds of weird weirdness. Uh, you know, I had a um well, I you know, I know somebody who suffered a a, a psychotic breakdown and, and believed that he was the um exactly he was the well he thought he was christ himself he thought that that the president of the church was going to visit him and give him the keys and he would take over and that there were new ordin he had new signs and ordinances for the temple and i mean all kinds of crazy stuff and i mean that wasn't medicine based that was a psychotic break but i mean these excesses, right? You you can go too far either direction, and the revelations in Doctrine and Covenant seems to be a framework on how to approach this properly, and the principles on how to how to do this properly. And first and foremost is that faith and relationship with God, and that that obedience to God's commandments. Um, and you know, this actually wasn't brought up, but um, there's a I'm trying to remember. Um, there's a story I'd heard uh, when Joseph Smith was translating the Book of Mormon, where he was, he had had a fight with Emma, and he was struggling to translate afterwards, and it just it was all darkness, and he couldn't he couldn't translate, and he had lost his gift temporarily, and he was inspired to go and reconcile with Emma, and when they worked things out, he was able to continue forward with the translation and see that's not a shortcut that's 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 what the scriptures teach that's what the the gospels in the new testament teach is that we have to live our lives a certain way to receive the benefits and the gifts of god and so to me doctrine and covenants lays down that framework on here's how you can experience these things here's how you can come to god the right way and I, you know, and to me, just, you know, experimenting with mushrooms, that's in and of itself, that's not the right way. (laughs) Right. Right. So what are the, what are some other arguments they use for Joseph Smith using psychedelics? Well, um, the, the theories kind of go that he developed this, uh, he was taught by somebody, which is interesting because, you know, like the, uh, some people think it's, it must have been the Indians taught him. Um, the Indians have been using these medicines for a long time, and he learned from an Indian. Other people, um, there was a uh, a mentor or somebody who had taught Joseph Smith when he was younger, who through some really, really stretch stretches of assumptions later in his life might have experimented with psychedelics. And so he, maybe he learned from him either way. The idea is that this is something Joseph Smith was experimenting with, trying to figure out the right way to use. Um, And that leads to an account that was quoted in the book Rough Rolling Stone, Um, which, you know, granted, it is a little bit of a disturbing story. I haven't 
gone into the details on it to know how you know authentic and accurate it is but um this one was um let's see this quote was saying um there's a meeting with joseph where he was ordaining harvey whitlock to the high priesthood um the most important business of the meeting and Whit um and whitlock reacted badly um he turned as black as Lyman was white, Hancock reported. His fingers were like claws. He went around the room and showed his hands and tried to speak. His eyes were the shape of O's. And so, oh, the eyes were the shape of O's. The pupils must be dilated. Um, that's that's uh, proof of, you know, psychedelics being involved. Well, you know, I, yeah, to a certain degree, you got to look at cause and effect, too, actually. And we haven't, we haven't talked about this, but... Um, you got to ask, well, why are the eyes dilated? Is it because of medicine or, and, and that's causing that effect? Or is there some spiritual thing that's, that would also cause the same physiological effect? Because I mean, I, I think that we, our bodies are important and the things that I, to me, if science were to monitor the body and, and be able to say, oh, this is what's going on in the body when you're, ha when you're praying, when you're having a spiritual experience and being able to measure that, that doesn't mean you're not having a spiritual experience. It doesn't mean that you're just having a physical experience um, just because you can measure it physically, right? So, I mean, I think that's really important to, to understand. Um, but in this case, um, so, so they were astonished at the turn of events. Hiram exclaimed, Joseph, that is not of God. And Joseph, unwilling to cut the phenomena short, told Hiram to wait. But Hiram insisted, I will not believe unless you inquire of God and he owns it. And so Joseph then bowed his head, and in a short time got up and commanded Satan to leave. And then Harvey, laying his hands upon his head at the same time. And then Hancock said to Lehman Copley, who weighed over 200 pounds, somersaulted in the air and fell on his back over a bench. And then weight cast Satan out of Copley, and Copley was, was calmed. So um, that story, first of all, you know, a 200-pound man suddenly doing a backflip, also doesn't sound like psychedelics you know maybe super soldier serum <laughs> right but uh but not mushrooms um and the, the the idea here is that um he was being ordained and they ordained with oils back then a lot of times and so the oil might have been laced with something which you know that's a real real stretch i mean modern today with modern science understanding of chemistry is it possible to create a, a topical oil that will produce an effect? Yeah, absolutely, it's possible. But did people did people have that technology? Were they aware of have that kind of understanding back then? It's very very doubtful, and that such a thing would have to be so concentrated too. Um, the other thing a lot of people don't maybe not might not realize is that um, with most of these medicines, it takes time for them to come into effect. They're not instantaneous. You don't you don't have a, a plant medicine experience where you, you take something and then you're instantly in an altered state, at least not a topical or most oral type things that the, a natural plant medicine, they don't, they don't react that way. Um, in fact, I was reading some of the ancient Mayans would use plant medicine enemas in an attempt to increase the speed of onset of the, of the effects, because, you know, you take something orally, you know, it can take, you know, half an hour, even longer before, you start seeing any kind of any kind of effect on the body or the mind. So, the idea that that you'd anoint 
somebody with an oil back then with some psychedelic that was so powerful that it would just kind of instantly put somebody in that kind of state is pretty absurd. Um, it also really doesn't explain what then happened to um, Lehman Copley afterwards. And what happened to him? Well, was he anointed with the oil as well? <laughs> um, why did he suddenly um, become possessed as well? So with both of those, um, it, it's, it's inconsistent. It doesn't really fit the narrative here. It's kind of being injected in in a way that doesn't really fit. Um, and frankly, it ju it's more of just filling this narrative that he, Joseph Smith was experimenting with his stuff yet still, and he didn't get the dose right. That's why, that's why, um, um, that's why, uh, who was it? Whitlock, Harvey Whitlock. That's why Harvey Whitlock had a bad experience because he just, he got too much. It was too strong. And so, um, yeah, again, this narrative, I don't see it. it. It's not there at all. To try to make, to try to inject that into this story is disingenuous to anybody who knows anything about this, anybody that has any experience. Well, and that, it, it further casts dispersion on on Joseph Smith's um, character, right? I mean, essentially what what they're trying to say here is that Joseph Smith was like slipping people roofies. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And so, you, you you look at you look at the whole argument, and it, it just it it's gross. I don't know how else to put it. It's just gross. Well, and I, you know, I don't want to get too personal here, but I've had exper I've had spiritual experiences without any kind of psychedelic plant medicine or anything. And I've had good spiritual experiences. I've also had some pretty scary spiritual experiences. And so this idea that you, that, um, that it's Joseph Smith's fault here too, like you're saying, not only are they saying that not only is the implication that he's slipping people drugs, the also the implication is, is that this satanic manifestation was due to Joseph Smith's inexperience with, uh, administering these drugs as opposed to no a, a, a bad spirit came in satan's came in and and came in and manipulated the the spiritual experience which we have that exact same account with with moses and uh even joseph smith's first vision um of there are dark spiritual forces out there and that's also very clear in doctrine and covenants and so this kind of tries to put the blame on Joseph Smith. And I don't think that's very fair either. You know, and I think I, I was kind of trying to figure out how someone even came up with the idea that this is where it came from. Right. And one of the things I've thought about is, you know, are, are people projecting people who, who dislike religion in general, projecting right are they are they projecting their their jim jones fears you know back on joseph smith a little bit that's a good point and that's the thing too i mean i i believe in spirituality but i also believe in religion right the religion is the framework in which we interpret and understand these kind of spiritual experiences but I think a lot of these people, they want to divorce. They want they want the spiritual experiences, but they don't want the religion. And ultimately, like you were saying, this is kind of a, a way of escaping the religious aspect of it. You don't have to believe Joseph Smith was a prophet, but you can believe that, well, maybe he received some things that were true because he was just on some plant medicine. 
Yeah, and but again, it, if that's the case, right? Because the the whole restoration movement revolves and starts with this idea that Joseph ex- experienced what he said he experienced, and so if he is in any way compromised in that you've now cast dispersion and doubt upon the foundations of the restoration. And that's the scary part. I might challenge you a little bit on that um, because I do believe that some things were not as as Joseph Smith initially proclaimed them to be. Um, The law of the first vision, I mean, you know, the atheists say that he changed the story. I believe he, he revealed more and more as he was more comfortable sharing I would details. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um a lot of the the, the doctrines doc, uh, plural marriage was something that Joseph Smith very kept very close to his chest to the point that you've got people denying that he taught it and lived it even um because of that but that doesn't mean that he didn't um that there might not be you know there could be thing I mean I'm open to the idea that well maybe there were things that he just kept closer to his chest not because it wasn't true but because People weren't ready to receive it, so I, I I do understand the idea that well maybe that plant medicine was one of those things. I, I I don't think that is a completely invalid argument to be honest. But if you're a guy, because because you have to look at at the totality totalitarian excuse me, the totality of their argument, which is Joseph Smith was power hungry, everything else, right? If if it was plant medicine that got him to that point, he would be all for other people taking it, right? My thought is, is if he's that guy, he's going to introduce that a lot sooner, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. And, well, and, I mean, they're kind of trying to argue that he did, and that explains everything because he did and, start, you know, but it was in secret, but it wasn't in secret. It's it's a very, it's a very um, inconsistent narrative. And and there's, there's a... a large difference between holding certain things closer to the vest until you feel like people are ready to hear it as opposed to being in a compromised state of mind when you have your foundational religious experience sure i can understand that yeah absolutely and so i i think that probably the biggest argument is this idea of the kirtland temple experience Mm -hmm. because you had like 500 people having these powerful visions and spiritual edifying ones too to to point out um you know no no devil sneaking in and causing mischief um type of experience and you've got happening to all of these people and so if you want to believe that joseph smith was using theogens then this is the this is the best this is a perfect explanation for how you'd have that much witness and testimony of these kind of spiritual things. And so that's probably, I think it's one of their, the, the key arguments or one of the key premises is that that can explain how it, ha- how so many people had, you know, a powerful experience. Um, but it's also ironically, probably the very, it's probably the most fault, uh, flawed premise of, of all of them as well. Yeah. I, so in, in preparation for this, I, I did a lot of looking at what some of those experiences are like, right? And, you know, 
in full disclosure, I certainly tried it as a young man before I was a Mormon. But the thing I found is, is this, this isn't something that causes mass hallucinations that everybody sees the same thing. These are personalized experiences, right? So this idea, oh, that, yeah. so there, the idea that, you know, in Kirtland with, with the dedication of the Kirtland temple, Joseph puts some psilocybin in the sacramental wine or whatever it is. The thing that says he didn't do that is the fact that people are saying they saw the same things, right? You have independent corroborating accounts that show that he is, um, that, that they are witnessing the same event, right? If you're on yeah. some kind of hallucinogen, those are all very personal experiences that are, are dictated in a lot by the baggage you carry around. And as humans, we know we all carry different types of baggage. Some stuff is similar, but we carry different kinds of baggage. So this idea that hundreds, if not thousands of people are witnessing the same thing and you can chalk that up to a, to a mass hallucination, I, I don't buy it. Well, exactly. And this is something that people who haven't don't have any experience with these kinds of things wouldn't might not be aware of. Um, but you don't lose. So I, I think that as as this is presented, it's the idea here is that, well, Joseph Smith suggested to them that they saw these things. And because they were under these effects, therefore, they, they saw them. And if you don't have experience with that, you might you might assume that um, that these kinds of these kind of medicine is a hypnotic type of a experience where you can where you're open to suggestions and you know people can tell you what you see and you'll see it and that's also you know that's deeply flawed and people who do have experience with these things know that it is like you said it is a very you know it's very personal and you are not in a state where you can't decide or discern things you don't lose your identity um you are I mean, that was one of my biggest concerns with, with even um, having, you know, going into an experience with plant medicine was, well, am I going to lose myself? Am I going to come out of it somebody else? Or even just for a moment, am I going to, am I going to lose myself? And frankly, I, that's not the case. I, I think alcohol actually is more likely to put you in a state of being open to suggestion than any kind of entheogens would. Um, and even then, is most people, well, not maybe not most people, but as many people might have had experiences with alcohol. Even then, you know, if you're if you're drunk and somebody says, "Oh, look, that's an angel," you're, you're not just gonna be like, "Oh, wow, amazing!" <laughs> right. So yeah, that's one of the issues, and you know, another one of the issues with the whole Kirtland thing that to me is just the the smoking the the smoking gun is dose. Um dosage with plant medicine is, is, is pretty important. Um, if you don't have enough of, if you don't receive enough medicine, you're not going to have any discernible effect whatsoever. Um, if you have too much, you're going to be in a coma. It could possibly kill you. Um, so how do you administer plant medicine to 500 people and get the dose for all of them exactly right? Unless you had some sort of a very obvious manipulated situation. How much do you weigh? 
okay, come here. And you're one well, your metal. Okay. Uh, here, take, drink this. And now you, right. oh, okay. You're about that big. Uh, let me think you take this. If it was, if it was just spiked wine. And the thing is they, they, they went into that fasting. Um, and so if it was just, and well, first of all, they went into it fasting and they partook of wine and bread freely during, during the dedication. So it wasn't a controlled situation. And if the wine was spiked, then, and then, you know, you have some small woman go and, and take two or three glasses, you know, she, she could, she would have been in a coma, could have died if it was strong enough dose. If it wasn't that strong enough dose, then, you know, uh, you know, men who only had, a, who would have only had a single glass wouldn't have, wouldn't have had any kind of experience or effect at all whatsoever. It's really, it's, it's pretty much impossible to have a situation here where you've got a spiked wine and you have that many different people with that many different body weights, metabolisms, and you somehow end up with nobody keeling over and everybody having a powerful visionary experience. It's just, it's not possible. It it just doesn't hold water. I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't work. I, I don't know how many ways you look at it. It, it just can't work. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a big, a big red flag as far as, as their reasoning. And Again, if if it's just a cult of personality too, Justin, even with the aids of psychedelics, that fades really quick. That fades really quick. Or it goes off the rails horribly, and then it fades again, right? But at one point or another, those kind of groups that use psychedelics for those purposes usually end up going off the rails or just fading away into obscurity. With the exception, with the exception of of people who followed the Grateful Dead, they managed to get away with it for a long time. So. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, and I got one more one more account here that I've that 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 has been shared, um, and this is an account from a physician, which therefore means it's true. Couldn't possibly be wrong because we all know <laughs> that you know, physicians are God and are always correct. Uh, and this was a Jasper Jesse Moss, and um, this was uh, he was a skeptic. He was among the saints, but he wasn't. He was skeptical of Joseph Smith. He was skeptical of the Restoration. He went into this from a non-believing um, intent, right? And this is a quote that he shared from his you'd almost say uh, um, infiltration of, of a meeting with Joseph Smith and some other people. Um, he said, I attended their meeting. I believe I was the first person with a young man whose name I have forgotten who was present when they took what was called the sacrament up at the Morley house. They were in the habit of turning everybody out of the door when they partook of the bread and wine, putting up blankets at the windows, shutting off the sight from without, and they started a regular powwow, and when they got well going, then they opened the door and let us all come in again. Um, and so again, already he's describing this in a way that is already negative, right? Um, a powwow. It's it's he's using terminology here that is derogatory and is already implies that 
that it wasn't any kind of a spiritual experience people were having. It was they were just freaking out. They were just they were just off their rocker. Um, but then he goes, he continues on and says, um, let's see, um, a young man and myself made it up that we would stay in unless they took us out by force. The young man got asleep and I had the dumb evil and could not talk, but they did not carry us out, but went on with the sacrament. The poor house in Portage County, Ohio, where there were half a dozen insane and idiotic persons was the best comparison of anything to the scene that night. And if I had my cloak on, I would have stolen the wine and carried it home to see whether it was drugged or not. So, oh, this guy's a doctor. He thinks maybe the wine was drugged. Therefore, contemporary evidence, which <laughs> another, but you know, in rally, somebody else came up with this idea first, thought maybe, maybe things were drugged. That doesn't prove anything just, just because some, somebody a hundred years ago had the same, or maybe, you know, actually pushing a couple hundred years now, um, had the same concern or, or theory on what was going on. That's not, he, he didn't, um, grab the wine. He didn't test it. What was interesting to me about this though, is that, um, it, to me, it looks like he didn't partake of anything. It looks, it looks to me like he did not take of the bread and wine because if he had, he wouldn't have had to steal it to see if it was drugged or not. He would have, claimed he had it and he knew it was drugged because he partook of it. Um, and yet, so, I mean, it's pretty clear to me that in this account, he did not partake of the, he did not partake of the wine. Um, the proponents of the psychedelic theory here are claiming he did. And that's, you know, he said he had the dumb evil and could not talk. Well, that's a, that's a side effect of, or a potential side effect of, of using these things. So that's proof that that he did well. That that doesn't add up. In fact, the fact that he claims that he had the dumb evil and could not talk, to me, indicates that there was something going on, and he was being spiritually barred from interrupting or, or you know, <laughs> uh, messing with the with the events going on that night, which is again more a sign of an actual spiritual experience happening, not just. Um, some kind of a drug orgy as he's trying to, as this Jasper Moss tried to portray it. You know, something else too, that, that got me as, as you were reading that account, you have to remember also that there's a large portion of society during that time that were kind of suspicious of secret societies, right? There oh, yeah. was a big yeah. thing going on with, you know, um, uh, Masons, they, they, you know, a lot of folks were, were into the Mason Masonic conspiracy going on at that point. Um, they, they'd been, um, you know, trying to, you know, pin murders on the Masons and, and everything else at that point. And so when he gives his account with, and they put blankets over the windows and they shut the doors and it, it if if you're familiar with the time in which Joseph Smith is living and and performing his work in the restoration and you're you're familiar with with the social uh oh inclinations of the time you can see a lot of these arguments start to float to the surface based on what's happening in the zeitgeist so to speak Oh yeah, and and trying to cover the you know trying to keep these things private is no indication of anything nefarious either. It's just it's just a desire to keep them private. There's a reason why temples aren't made of glass. 
Right. Um, sacred things have always been intended to be kept private, um, and we're not supposed to cast our pearls before swine. So a desire to keep things private for people like this guy from interloping and and drawing the wrong conclusions because of his own clearly you know he went into that with a desire to prove or to out what was going on he he didn't he was not there to believe he was there to to expose in his own mind so you know a desire to keep sacred things private is that's very natural i don't think anybody um would want to have a personal you know spiritual experience out in broad daylight with a bunch of people laughing and mocking yeah yeah no that that's that yeah that's a good point but it doesn't make for a sexy story if the, if it's not secret yeah yeah and who knows who knows the reliability of that account anyways right right because you could tell you he wasn't favorable towards joseph smith whatsoever or the more yeah. so 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 let's do you have any other anything else you want to take apart right there you know there there might be some better evidences but you know these are these are this is this is the arguments from the sunstone symposium that came out this is you know the scholars trying to find evidence of plant medicine in the restoration this is this is the best that they came up with at least at that time so um I and I, I I don't I didn't again not a single one of these things is compelling to me in right. the slightest and most of them are actually pretty pretty confirming of the exact opposite of the argument they're trying to make. So do we have anything on the other side that we could point to as evidence that Joseph didn't use psychedelics? Well, um, I think a lot of these already kind of like I mentioned already are pretty self-contained evidences that, that they weren't like Kirtland, like the impossibility of, of being able to properly dose um, that many people to have a shared experience. Um, it's just not feasible. Um, the idea that, you know, Oh, we may be somebody who dressed up as Christ. Okay. Maybe somebody did, but not everybody did have a spiritual experience. So if, if most of the room's high and Joseph says, Oh, that's Moses. And everybody looks and is like, oh, okay, that must be Moses because they're high. Well, the pe the person who's not high is going to be like, wait, that's not Moses. I know who that. That's just so old so and so dressed up, <laughs> dressed right. up in a costume. And we would have he heard those accounts as well. So, um, the honestly, the best I think some of the best evidence that Joseph Smith did not use the theogens is actually contained in these arguments already that we've kind of already discussed. Um, but I think one other important one is to understand Joseph Smith was very progressive, um, as in, in a proper term, term of the term, uh, in the proper use of the term, meaning he was, he was looking for truth and he was open to finding truth wherever, wherever it may be. He wasn't afraid of something just because it was culturally taboo, clearly. And so, and, and we know that jo Joseph Smith taught many things that were that were very heretical to the the Christianity and the common culture at the time. And so knowing that, I mean, first of all, there's no reason for Joseph Smith to have hidden this, in my opinion. Um, in fact, it would have been very easy to incorporate it into his theology. Um, and especially, at the very least, um, into some of the symbology. Like, uh, if you look at 
some early Christian work, there's actually some very interesting evidence that early Christians did use theogens. You can see the Amanita mushroom depicted in early Christian art in a way that's, well, pretty bizarre. Like, like the artist must have been on something <laughs> when they uh, when they created that. And so, um, you know, where's the sacred mushroom um, adorning the temple, or, or hidden in the in the in the symbology of the temple? It's not there. Where's the where's the hidden mushroom in in the revelations and it's it's not there and i don't if 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 joseph smith was having these these experiences with the aid of the theogens i don't think he would have shied away from from well teaching that and incorporating that into the religion and the fact that he didn't is also in my opinion uh really strong evidence that there was nothing there yeah, I, we forget that that Joseph Smith is upsetting a lot of norms in Victorian society, right? I mean, a man can have more than one wife. That's pretty, that's pretty salacious stuff. And well, it can be salacious now, but it it was really salacious in the eighteen hundreds, right? Uh, this idea of of people coming together and and living and working together. And, you know, trying to build a, 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 almost a counterculture um, was, again, on the fringes of society at best. Oh, yeah. Certainly, well, he, was, he wasn't the first to, to think about, you know, a com- community like that, but he was, he was definitely the most successful. And, and I agree with you that if, if this was something that, that was central to him gaining revelation to his visions, I think he would have made it known. Yeah, at least to an inner circle. Right. Um, and you'd at least see signs of it. And it's just, it's not there. You know, and it's not just the, not just plural marriage. You've also got, to me, the that's not that revolutionary. Um, what was truly, I think, revolutionary about Joseph Smith's teachings and the revelation that really, that even to this day, in my opinion, is the biggest gulf between us and Christians is this idea that that god once was a man like we yeah. are and that we have the ability to become like god that we are literally the offspring of god that is still to this day completely unacceptable in modern christian society and culture that, that it's they see that as as bad as you know new ageism and 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 occultism and devil worshipery it's uh it's a cardinal sin to christianity as a whole so to dare to to dare to preach a theology that man can become gods but be too timid to to talk about some beneficial plants that god created that might help you have a a relationship with god i i don't i don't see it i don't i don't know why he wouldn't have taught and shared it it just doesn't make any sense absolutely so real quick without naming individual names are there certain groups that are espousing this doctrine more than others is this just um you know secular scholars who are who's looking to um i don't know uh discredit the restoration or are who or are there like faithful members or i you know i i use faithful in quotations here but are are there 
faithful adherence to the the restoration who are trying to use these things and being um, public I, about it yeah i i don't know about being public per se but i do know and again i don't want to name names but i i, I am aware of people that are promoting um these things in a way that i'm really that i'm personally kind of uncomfortable with okay and so, so yeah go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, so let, let's let's do the whole know them by their fruits trick here, right? The, that that litmus test. Yeah. In the folks that you're aware of that are espousing this heavily, what has been some of the um, the fruit of that, the outgrowth? Uh, a large part of it has been ultimately, well, long term has been a denial of the restoration. Where, you know, not a complete outright rejection, but more of this idea that, ah, oh, you know, Joseph Smith restoration, sure, maybe Joseph Smith was an ascended one, like Christ, like Buddha, like, like, um, I can't remember the Indian one, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, he's just an, he was just an ascended master and, um, and therefore the restoration, you can, you can take it or leave it. It's just, uh, one of the many ways, ways to God and, um, so that's, that's been ultimately, well, from a faith perspective, that's the most damaging and that's my, one of my biggest concerns. And, um, the second one is, uh, a destruction of family and relationships too. Um, I think that, well, the whole argument here at the very beginning from that first example of, let's see, that was, uh, Parley P. Pratt. Um, he was concerned because he said these manifestations, they were disgusting rather than edifying. And that's to me that that is the fruit is, is it really edifying? Does it make you a better father? Does it make your families come together? Do you love your brothers and sisters more? Um, are your family relationships improving or are, does it break them apart? Does it isolate you? Does it separate you from the people who love and care about you? Um, and I mean, you might argue that, well, they're being judgmental. I know in some of these cases, that's uh, not the case. It's not people being judgmental. Um, it's it's the uh, other way around. Well, I mean, that's the argument you get with a lot of the um, concerns with homosexuality and some of these other sexuality issues, right? Is that, um, and there are, just because there are some cases of people doing some really terrible things when they find, you know, a son comes out of the closet, it says he's gay, and then the father, you know, banishes him and never speaks to him again and cuts him out of his life. There are terrible situations where that kind of thing does happen. Um, and that's tragic, but sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> um, people get into things that aren't good for them. And there's a certain amount of maybe guilt or shame associated with that, guilt and shame attached to that. And it causes people to withdraw from people of their own volition. And maybe they perceive it as as being persecuted. But the human nobody's ever wrong. The human mind is, is expert at passing the buck of responsibility and blaming others. <laughs> we, we never see ourselves as the bad guy in our life story. Um, nobody does. And so... Um, but in a, from an objective view, I've seen people that this has led to 
a destruction of family rather than an edification of family, a separation from family rather than a strengthening of the family. And so that's clearly not edifying. And, you know, by that fruit, I, I can, I have a concern. I can see that there's a problem there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and with all these things, right. Whether it's, um, again, the, the, who killed Joseph Smith film or now this, Let's just stop for a second, take a deep breath, don't get excited, and let's look at what these ideas are producing. Because that will tell you what, what's really going on. That tells the story. Ideas are fun, ideas are exciting, but it's the, the fruit that they bear that tells the story if that is of God or not. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I guess one other angle to this whole thing too, in my opinion, is if you really buy into this, it kind of sets you up to potentially fail in other ways. Um, in my own life, I have had, you know, I have had some positive, powerful experiences with plant medicine, but long before that, I had had many more powerful spiritual experiences um, in the church, in, in temples, um, exercising priesthood. And even through my own, you know, receiving, you know, spiritual manifestations in times of need in my own life, these, you don't need some kind of a, a plant medicine to be able to have this kind of relationship with God. And the other, the other end of the other tail, uh, the other end of the stick is if Joseph Smith was using plant medicine, then it kind of creates this implication then that in order to have spiritual experiences, in order to have revelations, um, then you're you kind of end up. Well, I need this. Then I have to. I have to pursue this. I have to. I'm dependent on some kind of a substance now to have a life full of miracles and and spiritual experiences, and that's just not the case either. Yeah. And, and I think we sell ourselves short as well. If we think that it takes a plant to do that, right. We sell ourselves short. We sell our God short that, that God's just not powerful enough to get through to us unless we've partaken of some psycho, you know, psychosomatic drug that, that lowers our inhibitions, right. We've put God into a box, which is something that I know I, I certainly try not to do because he's omnipotent, right? I mean, he can do whatever it is he needs to do. And so I, I'm with you. I, I think for some folks, it's, it can be beneficial. Like, like the guy I told you about earlier, who was really suffering, right? I did see him come through that experience, a changed man, but that's a lot different than trying to take a shortcut to Joseph's experiences. It just doesn't make any sense. It's a lot like a story. <laughs> this is going to be a bad analogy, but I'll give her a whirl. It's, it's like a, a few years back. I heard, uh, I heard a couple of, well, I shouldn't say I heard, I, I know for a fact there were a couple of kids at BYU who just so they could, have marital relations went to vegas got married 
did the deed and then got it annulled the same weekend. Right. And to me, this idea of taking plant medicine to have that, to have a experience with God is a lot like going to Vegas for the weekend. Right. It just (laughs) seems to cheapen it a little bit. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess I, you know, another interesting thing too is where, if this was the case, where does that lead the restoration? Because, you know, Joseph Smith, um, after Joseph Smith's martyrdom, what, what happened then? Did Brigham carry on, um, these secrets somehow and John Taylor and some of these, some of the other leaders of the church doing this stuff in secret? And if so, why was there a gradual decline in these kinds of manifestations in the church? I mean, I, I mean, I, it's it's pretty clear to me. And this is this is what led me into fundamentalism was that you know the church today um, is well the LDS church today is very different from the LDS church as it was founded. We should be and, very careful for our next few words here, Justin. I do not want Rusty getting any ideas. Rusty. Russell M. Nelson. Oh, <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we need to worry about that, but sure. Unless yeah. unless there's a, unless there's a, some sort of a, a pharmaceutical investment involved. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so the, that difference, that contrast, when I really looked into the, and I started to ask myself, well, what's changed? What's different now than from then? I mean, you can't really argue that plant medicine changed, that it was there and now it's not, and that's why it's different. It doesn't, that doesn't really fit. There's no gradual explanation for how that would have happened. Um, but what you do see is people that gradually lose faith and willingness to, to live the gospel. Having a desire to live the gospel and live all of, all of the all of the restoration, and that's a very natural pattern that we see throughout history um, is that kind of gradual decline. And um, you know, I mean, even that gradual decline's happened within our own country, where we're at the point now of of I think uh, on the verge of kind of a Romans one judgment um, in this nation because we have gradually abandoned our our religion our god and our way our our way of life of of living god's commandments and that creates a situation now where we we were in the kind of political messes that we're in and we're seeing society collapse and decay and under underneath us and i i you know it'd be it'd be nice if there was a simple solution it was like oh well george washington was on psychedelics and and we're not today, and that's that's why it's different. But I don't think the real answer is that simple. And there were many powerful experiences that that members had, that leadership in the church had after Joseph Smith passed away. And if it was theogens, how do you how do you explain that? How do you explain the continued, at least for a while, the continued outpourings of spirit? I mean, you had Drew on the other day talking about. Um, the uh, the uh, transfiguration of Brigham Young, right? So again, so what? Brigham Young dosed everybody. <laughs> I mean, right. Where does where does that end? And how do it? How do you explain the 
gradual loss of the gifts of the spirit. If the gifts of the spirit are merely something you you take, it's just a magic pill. Right. And, and also you, you ask, you know, where, where does it end? Well, I, I think ultimately it ends with if, if this sort of narrative catches hold, it ends with the 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 restoration really being just another idea that's kind of tossed to the side as one man's psychedelic trip. I mean, that's that's ultimately where it goes. Um, you you may have those who who hold on, but that's it. Or here's you know the the other scarier part is people who who go out and like we were just talking really dive in deep and you know try to replicate to the best of their estimation what joseph did and that to me scares me worse than anything else and and i would caution very 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 strongly against that um don't don't take my word for it go go read a book by tom o'neill called chaos which talks a lot about um you know how uh certain agencies within the government used uh, psychedelics as manipulation tools, right? I mean, it, it it's a frightening prospect. And that's why when you called me about it, 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 it rattled my cage a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, like I was saying, there's, there's really, there's no need of these things for the for the gospel to live the gospel to to have all of the blessings of the gospel to receive the gifts of the spirit and so um i think yeah i think that what where this leads in my perspective i mean you certainly I think it it does lead it leads to fragmentation you're going to have people rise up with charisma and you know you're going to have cults of personality and things like that that are going to wreak havoc but i think you're also looking at like a, a gradual loss of of faith if if you don't need ordinances if you don't need commandments and laws if you don't need order to receive a relationship with god if you don't have to work for it then well, I mean, the natural human condition is to is to take the easy route, is to take the easy road, and if there's shortcuts, our, our human nature, we, we're all guilty of that. Of you know, we all want shortcuts. <laughs> it's not good for us, but that's what we want. Um, uh, even when Adam was expelled from the garden, um, he's cursed to have to till the ground, to labor uh, by the sweat of his brow, and you know that sounds like a curse, but the garden was a shortcut, but it was necessary for his growth. It was, and it's necessary for our growth to do hard things. And some of those hard things are having faith and working our relationship with God to have the kind of relationship and experiences and see the, see those kinds of gifts of the spirit manifest. Um, and you know, this is, this is a little bit of a, a personal aside, but, um, I had a family member pass away, uh, a nephew, um, not that long ago. And it was very tragic and troubling for the family. And um, 
and I, 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 you know, I haven't had that kind of experience with any of my own children. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, I can't relate, but I can imagine how difficult and hard that could be. And that's the kind of situation that people do look for shortcuts. Generally speaking, they look to, um, alcohol or, you know, drug abuse or, you know, people disconnect from relationships and family, things can fall apart in the events of, of tragedy. Um, but it doesn't have to, it can also be an opportunity for, for growth and strength and a, a better opportunity to grow closer to God. And that's what I've seen in my own family is a, um, you know, no need of any kind of, um, enhancements. Um, I, my, I've seen my, um, my nephew's family really come together and have had many powerful spiritual witnesses and experiences that have drawn them closer to God, closer to their Savior. And and I, I think that's what we're here for is to is to do the hard things. I mean that's what that's what Christ had to do. Um you know, Christ asked, even Christ asked if there's another way, if this if this cup can pass, please. Um but at some point we kind of have to do hard things. And one of those hard things is, is having faith is believing in God's promises and being faithful to the things that God's asked us, asked of us. And in my life, in my family's life, we've seen many powerful miracles and things like that, that come about through doing the hard things and with time, receiving, you know, beautiful rewards, you know, harvesting what was sowed. And so, yeah, not only just the destruction of faith, it's just sort of robbing us of, it can, it can be something that robs us of the, the beauty and accomplishment of, of, of having powerful spiritual experiences that we have worked for that we've put in the effort and the sacrifice for and if that's another thing that's that's in my opinion somewhat tragic if that's where somebody ends up yeah yeah as a guy who screwed around with a lot of different substances before i you know accepted the gospel there is no substitute for for a coherent spiritual experience. Um, one in which you can't walk away from it saying, well, maybe it was something I ate or drank. Where you have to say, oh, that was real. That was real. And um, those are the kind of experiences that we all have to work for we all have to put ourselves in that in that right frame of mind and in that correct way of living to achieve but in some ways i think that's what makes those experiences so much sweeter and so much more of a reward because in that process we've learned that okay if if i do what god ask me to do if i walk up to my covenants if i put in the time 
I'm on my knees asking for help, he's going to respond. And I don't have to rely on a substance to get me there. I think, I think that, I, I think by relying on a substance to get you there kind of cheapens it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just the whole idea that opposition in life is, is a blessing, really. It's a, it's a gift. Um, and so if you, if you can just take a pill and be happy, is it happiness? Can you recognize it as happiness as opposed to dealing with struggles in life and overcoming them and finding happiness in and joy in having over overcome adversity? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can speak from sad experience that if you're relying on any substance to just get you through, that's yeah, not a great place to be. It's not a great place to be. So. All right. What do you think, man? Yeah, well, um, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess I just would like to, you know, my own I, my own testimony is, is that. God is there and. He's there whether we see him or, or we don't, he's. Christ is a part of our lives, whether we recognize that or not. And if, if a plant medicine can help you get a certain perspective at a certain point in time to help you see that, I'm not, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but ultimately we need to be able to bring that into our waking life, our, our every moment of our being in existence and recognizing those miracles, recognizing that presence, having that relationship and that connection. And so, I mean, if, if there's people out there that are, you know, interested in these things, um, I, I, I urge caution, a lot of caution. And um, I think intent matters a lot. And you really would need I think you need to look at your own heart and and decide if if you're interested in this because you're looking for a shortcut because there's something there's something hard that you're trying to avoid or or if if this is something that really would be beneficial but most of all I, I these narratives and these stories that are going out about this are absolutely destructive because it it robs people of Believing these stories and narratives robs you of, like I said, it robs you of that testimony that you can have these things without it. And it also robs you of, of that, the joy and sweetness of, of having achieved something. And most of all, I think it gradually leads, if it, it gradually is leading to a state of disbelief in the restoration and in, in real truth. And that's, that's really tragic. And that's what concerns me the most is that believing these narratives around it are faith destroying that much is, is absolutely true. Whether or not the, the, the medicine itself is or isn't absolutely these stories and these narratives are destructive to our faith and destructive to, and contrary to the truth 
And well, it's contrary to the truth, which is always destructive to faith and testimony. And there's no, there's no positive to that. There's no good fruit that can come from that. Absolutely. Yeah. I would just, I, I'm like you, I would instruct people to be very cautious be very cautious that you, even in, in listening to some of this stuff, absolutely hear the argument, right? I'm a, I'm a big believer in the First Amendment, right? Mm -hmm. Freedom of speech. Say what you have on your mind. But that doesn't mean you have to believe everything that's put out there. Do your own research. Look at it. Look at it with a critical eye. And then make your decisions. But at least... Give Joseph the benefit of the doubt that he was who he said he was, and he experienced what he said he experienced. And the fruit of those things, I think, bear testimony that Joseph experienced what he said he experienced, and he was who he said he was. So, all right, Justin, this was good, man. Thanks for coming on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been good. All right. Bye, everybody.